I've just been so sad these past couple of weeks, as I know many of you have. The killing of George Floyd in Minnesota. Uh, not just George Floyd, but Breonna Taylor and Eric Garner and Ahmaud Arbery. And not just them, but this hopeless feeling that history keeps repeating itself. And believe me, I debated whether it was even a topic we should delve into because what we don't need is another white dude trying to mansplain the black experience. But I've been trying to listen to my brothers and sisters of color, um, including people like Bishop T.D. Jakes. Most seem to be advocating that if, if things are really going to change, then white people, um, white leaders, white pastors with any kind of platform or circle of influence need to be talking to other white people about this. You know, a lot of us have been silent on these things. And you may say silence isn't overtly racist. Well, it's, it's also not all that helpful. And it doesn't contribute to meaningful change. And here's the thing. I truly believe Jesus would speak out about these things. But I worry, I worry that addressing this would be construed as political. I don't know how the issues of equality and justice have, have been politicized, but they have. I'm nervous about saying things wrong, you know, saying things insensitively, you know? So I just, I'm just speaking from my heart this morning and I hope you can hear my heart. I'm nervous about the pushback to addressing something like this and that there'd be this, well, you know, that sounds a lot like a liberal social gospel. You've heard the term social gospel before. Here's what Jesus said when he announced his ministry and his mission statement. He, he stood up in the synagogue and he opened the scrolls and he quoted the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and essentially said, that's why I'm here, y'all. It, it sounds like part of the gospel is a social gospel. The poor, the oppressed. Racial division in our culture is a deeply biblical and spiritual issue. You know, to not address it would be overlooking the, the largest elephant in the room. And might I add, the church because listen uh, the church is the hope of the world and in this particular matter it's the only hope for modeling racial unity we have been called into th th this new community with christ at its center and if we can achieve racial unity in our churches it would truly be offering the world something it does not already have and could never achieve on its own um, it would draw people in 
as few other things would. In fact, you know, in John 17, it was Jesus himself who prayed that we would be unified and that unity would capture the attention of the world like nothing else would. But maybe we haven't thought of that prayer in terms of, of racial unity. I haven't typically. Do you know nine out of 10 churches are predominantly one color, whether it's, it's black or white or Asian? I, I don't think that's God's vision. I don't think he's, he's pleased with that stat. And so despite my nervousness of saying it wrong, the truth is that Jesus compels me. Jesus compels us to address this. I've been, I've been thinking about why largely white churches have not addressed this for so long. I wonder if it's partly because when the status quo benefits you, you know, your, your theology doesn't normally include changing the status quo. Because let's be honest, for most white middle-class Christians, the world was kind of working just fine. So religion that includes social change might seem redundant, you know? We might just want to leave things pretty much as they are. Uh, I'm also realizing that one thing that is not going to help the conversation is saying, oh, this is an American problem. Those poor racist Americans, aren't you glad Aren't you glad we don't live there? Nah, this is, a, this is a Canadian problem. And like everything else Canadians do, it's a little more subtle. It's a little more quiet, but it's real. And again, it's not limited to a political party or ideology. We have a conservative leadership candidate who was kicked off the ballot for just racially charged language. We have a liberal prime minister uh, in unearthed blackface photos. You know, my point is, is that it's not a political issue. No party has figured this out. No party is untouched by the sin of discrimination. And here in Canada, we have our own indigenous racism to reckon with, don't we? Ask Elizabeth Stanley if the marginalization and racism against our indigenous people have had a traumatic effect on the population. Ask uh, David Clouk if the, I'll call it PTSD, suffered by our indigenous population is systemic and generational. These are people who have advocated for, worked with, tried to be a voice of help and healing for our indigenous population. You know, we had a Canadian living in New York last week who calls 911 uh, lying blatantly on camera saying that a black man is threatening her in Central Park, knowing full well that her whiteness and his blackness creates a potentially violent situation for him. So this is not a USA issue. It's an Australian issue we're learning. It's a Great Britain issue. I suppose it's an issue wherever people of different colors cohabitate. And so I've spent the last 10 days or so just always on the verge of tears, it seems. And I bet many of you have just let those tears flow. 
And yet I feel like God is close. I feel like God is speaking. You know, we're in this series, Can You Hear Me Now? God is speaking through this season. He didn't cause it. He doesn't rejoice in it, but he's still speaking. And in the midst of this, I kind of liken it to a story. You know, years ago, I was driving, listening to Christian radio. I think it was focused on the family or something. And they were interviewing a mother. I don't remember all the details, but she had a crazy number of adopted children, a dozen or something. And the interviewer asked her, um, what kid do you love the most? You know, he's throwing her a, a softball question, right? He thinks she'll say like, oh, I love each of them equally. What she says to the question of who do you love the most is, whatever child is hurting the most at any given time. And I think that says something about the heart of God, whose heart is breaking right now. A God who has a special concern and love for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. A God who in, in the Psalm says, is so very close to the brokenhearted and who saves those who are crushed in spirit. Folks, this is a whole community created in the very image of God, the Imago Dei, who are crushed in spirit today, who are brokenhearted. And God is righteously angry at what is going on and he is drawing near to our black brothers and sisters in comfort but God's heart grieves and it gives us a little indication of what our response should be. So I guess our silence isn't cutting it anymore. It never was actually. And I understand we don't wanna talk about these things because they may be divisive, I get it. But listen, unity is not achieved by silence. You think, you think that's peacemaking? It's, it's peace faking. We can't remain silent anymore. I think of it like having little kids, right? Little kids who do something naughty and their heads sort of slowly turn towards mom and dad to see if they're in some kind of trouble. It's like they're, you know, testing the limits and the boundaries. Well, if mom and dad don't react, their silence gives the implicit message that their behavior is okay. We can't be silent anymore. You remember in the trailer to this series, if you watched it, you can hear the voice of David Beishausen say about this COVID season. He asks, what inequities have been exposed? I think we're starting to see inequities being exposed. Why has the black community been disproportionately affected by the outbreak? We may not know fully until we're through this and the dust is settled. I suspect it has something to do with a community that often lives much poorer than white communities, that doesn't have the room to social distance the way others do, doesn't have the luxury of working from home the way others might. Uh, communities where a, a black man or a black woman might make a fraction of the same amount of money for the same job that a white person does. The early days of this pandemic exposed in, uh, an ugly response to Asian people. Canadians calling out Asian people in broad daylight, unconcerned even with the cameras 
and just spewing some of the most hateful, uh, untrue rhetoric. Like this pandemic didn't create hatred for Asians, but it seems to be exposing some of that racism. And my heart is broken. And we talked about holy discontent last summer because there's such a thing as righteous, godly anger. And we should feel a little bit of that righteous anger right now. Can I, can I just talk to my white brothers and sisters right now? There is nothing helpful about saying, yeah, but what about all the black on black violence? What about all lives matter? That is not only not helpful, it's, it's very hurtful. I listened to this podcast, the Relevant Magazine podcast. Um, there's two great artists, authors, worship leaders were on the show last week, Carlos uh, Whitaker and Derek Minor, and strong Christian men um, of color. I wanna play just a little bit of their reaction. This was right after the killing of George Floyd, before the riots, but it, it's very fresh for them. It's pretty raw. I just want you to hear their heart want you to hear their pain, even their anger. Just hear them. The people that are DMing me, because I mean, just so, you, so the listeners know, again, like I'm a half Mexican, half black guy that lives in, in the South. And so I don't get to choose what people view me as, right? And so the DMs that I was getting is, Carlos, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Help me as a white middle class soccer mom know what to say. And I think where, what I'm getting to now is, okay, this is the response I'm starting to give people. If this was your best friend that this happened to, guess what? You would probably get on the next flight to Minneapolis. You would, you would make your sign and you would be in the streets marching if it was that personal to you. And that is that unbridled kind of rage that I'm talking about that so many people are feeling, but the white community maybe doesn't feel that and they want to know what they should feel. And I'm telling them that's what they should feel. That's what they need to be doing. They need to not just be putting up another post because, Oh, Hey guys, Hey guys, it's Tuesday. Another black guy got killed. Let's put up our Tuesday hashtag post. No, it's time to do more. It's time to get angrier. It's time to March. It's time to do things that honestly, you're going to lose a lot of influence. You're going to lose a lot of friends, but guess what? Like, I don't care anymore. Like, like that's where, that's where I feel like people need to get to the you know, and I'm not saying that Christians need to be filled with rage all the time, but listen, yes, you do over this and, and you need to treat it as if it is your, um, your best friend that this happened to. What would that, what would that look like? And then allow that, that to begin to rise up. And that's really, you know, if you go into the, the, the comment section of my Instagram post, man, you know, I mean, it's it's the typical ones that are coming. Oh, black on black crime. How come you're not angry about that? Or, oh, Carlos, you know, um, police officers kill uh, more white people than they do. You know, it's all those talking points that 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 come into my comment sections. And again, you know, like all of those points can be refuted by me in 30 seconds. Like the post of this conversation isn't to refute your stupid black on black crime things or your your ignorant. Well, cops kill more white people post. The point of the matter is the rage that needs to be um exploding out of you needs to be so personally felt that I need you to imagine if this were your best friend, I don't care what color they were, what would you do? You will, you would bang on that, on a Minneapolis city, whatever police station and until justice was served. And that's what I'm talking about. It, it suddenly the last two years as I've gotten louder about this has made a lot of people very uncomfortable. 
I've lost a lot of followers because I'm speaking out on this, but I feel like I have an opportunity um, to get angry um, and to get loud and to have people go, oh, well, this is really bothering Carlos too. Carlos, I never really saw you as a black man. I never really saw, you know, hmm. all these things. And so I feel like all of these emotions have, have just been, you know, uh, like a pressure cooker. It's been pressure, pressure, pressure. And finally that top has come off and it's like, people are like, that's all you talk about. Well, yes. It's all I talk about now. And I'm tired of talking about it, too. And so if you're tired of me talking about it, then do something about it. I'm, I'm tired. Dog, I watched my grandfather get beat by six cops when I was nine. Like, mm. like I got spat on my, my freaking second day of second grade by some white guys and caught a porch monkey. I've been pulled over mm. by cops, handcuffed, guns to my head. Like, this is not a game. I'm not going to sit here and debate with everybody. The facts are what I saw. And that's a man begging for his mother as a guy stands on his neck. And that is the biggest symbol of what white people have done to black people for 400 years. And as far as I'm mm. concerned... Like if you if you can watch a video like that and then not be upset or not even mm -hmm. take the time to say, I might not get it, but I'm not going to antagonize black people and try to make them hash up why they feel. If you can't see that. We're not family. We're not brothers. Mm -hmm. You're not my friend. Like, and, and that's the truth. And if you pastors and all you got to freaking offer with all the millions of dollars that's funneled into your church from tithes and offering, if all you got to freaking offer is an Instagram post, that's all you got for me? Someone who's entertained your kids. Somebody yeah. who has been across the world preaching the gospel. If all you have is that, we're not brothers. We're not family. We're not friends. And that's the truth. Because friends don't let friends go through stuff like this and then turn around and antagonize them in the middle of their problems. They get up and yeah. they do something. You act like you don't know what to do, but you know exactly what to do for abortion. You know exactly mm. what to do for ties and all. You know exactly what to do wow. for everything else. But when it comes to black people, you're clueless. You've been mm. clueless for 400 years. No, you mm. know what to do. You just don't want to do it. Just tell the truth. You're a coward. And you want to watch us and you're watching us die. I have two kids. I'm terrified to send into the world. I'm, I'm terrified to go into the world at times because I want to come back to my family. You know how many traffic stops I've been in handcuffed for no freaking reason? Get that, man. It's the truth. It's the truth. You may not want to hear it. And look, I don't care. I honestly do not care. Like, I don't. I don't. Like, I'm done. I'm done trying to consult you on how to be a human. Yeah. I'm done yeah. consulting you on that. If you're supposed to be able to... No, if you're good enough to know the Bible and teach the Bible and, and, and you know all this stuff about theology, then you should know enough about seeing people die and, and hurting and how to help them. That's the God on the truth. Yeah. You know why saying all lives matter is not a Christ-like response? That white lives matter in America and Canada has never been in question, actually. So we don't really need to say it 
white people have never not mattered in the process. But to specifically affirm black lives is to speak directly into a, a system that seems to be, um, well, at least mounting evidence that black lives matter less. Could you imagine if your son died and someone responded, yeah, well, there's a lot of sons out there. You know, all sons matter. Uh, don't just make it about your son. Like, it's kind of the same sensitivity of response. I'm just trying to ask that we have the mindset of Jesus, which is one of empathy. The one who said to the highly bigoted audience he was talking to, love your neighbor as yourself, and then made this hated minority Samaritan the hero of the story. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to educate myself. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of my brothers and sisters of color. Um, I have had various interactions with the police <laughs> pulled over for this or that, you know. I love the police, my, my, my brothers and sisters in uniform. That should go without saying. They have an almost impossible job some days. And most of my interactions have been really good. But even the bad ones, never once was I worried that it would escalate because of the color of my skin. And that is just a reality black folks live with in, in 2020. So I have to wrestle with really uncomfortable questions for me. Have I ever found black people threatening just because of their blackness? It may be unintentional, but it's still a, a form of racism. Do I find it easier to accept people of color uh, more easily if they're dressed like me and talk like me? Um, have I celebrated my tolerance of others? That's really nothing to celebrate, is it? You know, if I tolerate my kids, <laughs> I don't really love them. Oh, that we would get to the point of actually celebrating the diversity of others. Because you realize that um, white is not the standard, right? Like every cultural expression, every accent, every strange food and, and clothing is not an aberration. Could one of the great unintentional harms of race relations even be this famous old depiction of Jesus looking very European and pasty. Y'all know Jesus was brown, right? Jesus would look today like someone who maybe gets an extra pat down at the airport. Listen, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. That's your real skin color. That's what clothes you. That's what marks you. That's what you are to look like to each other. Jesus died as a brown-skinned 
Jewish person, but he rose as savior of the world for every man, every woman, every child. And when we enter into relationship with him, we put on his skin, his clothes, his identity. To, to claim that you have more of the image of God than another, that you matter more to God than another, that you are distinct from the human race in a way that is superior to another. It's heresy. And to have it take root and erupt in hatred and mistrust and division is unconscionable. You know, the Bible says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Look, most of us, if not all of us, I believe, condemn racism in any and every form. If you're a white person watching this, I'm sure you would say you are not racist towards black people or Hispanics or Asians. You don't, you don't wear a white robe and burn crosses. You, you would readily condemn slavery in any and every form. You'd never identify with white supremacists. And it goes without saying that you would never uh, take up violence against someone because of, of the color of their skin. You know, if someone were to ask you, you would say, there's not a racist bone in your body. But what if it's not about bones? What if it's about succumbing to ideas, feelings, reactions, choices? Um, as Ibram Kendry has written, being a racist is not a fixed term. It's not an identity. It's not a tattoo. It is describing what a person is doing in the moment and people change from moment to moment. Here's another question or another example that maybe we all ought to wrestle with. Um, you see a black man with a white woman on a date or married. How do you viscerally feel about that? Good, bad, neutral, biased, positive, negative. You should read sometime the little story of Moses. Yes, that Moses marries a black woman, a Cushite woman, people known for their dark skin and people freaked out. Guess what? Racism isn't a 2020 new thing. Um, his own family kind of freaked out. Well, long story short, God speaks in an audible voice telling people how displeased he is. And then he inflicts Miriam uh, Moses' own sister with leprosy, which is kind of ironic because that's a disease for the outcast. So Miriam got a taste of what she had inflicted on her sister-in-law. So what's the answer to all this? What do we do? I don't know. I, I feel like God is saying that it starts with us. It starts with the church. We probably need personal and corporate repentance whenever and wherever it's needed. You know, racism can flow in all directions, not just whites towards blacks, blacks towards whites, Hispanics towards Asians, whites towards Hispanics. 
There is no end to how it can manifest itself. As followers of Christ, and as a community of Christ's followers, we are the hope of the world, modeling to the world what community is meant to be. So when, when racism rears its head, blatant or subtle, turn from it, repent of it, ask for forgiveness, pray for a renewed mind and spirit. So when we're humble and when we're repentant, I think God starts to reveal next steps. Here's a couple obvious things I've been thinking about. Obvious but hard things. Um, man, we got to hold each other accountable. If you see or hear anyone doing anything that is racist in nature, you got to confront it. You got to pull them aside and say, look, that's not who we are. That's not Jesus. That joke isn't funny. We're better than that. I'm going to. I'm going to just say it's going to take white people to lovingly call out other white people. We got to help educate each other, help people know what is offensive and why. Um, you have a friend, let's say it's Halloween and he wants to get dressed up like the late great prince, right? Purple rain. Uh, don't immediately assume the worst about his heart or intent, but you got to pull him aside and say, look, I know you're not maybe sensitized to the history of blackface and the way it has been used to mock black people or take artistic jobs from them so that it could just stay whites only. Uh, I know you don't know that, but I, you need to know. And that's, that's going to hurt people. In other words, don't just take offense, do the harder thing talk to them. I want you to know as a board of elders, we're going to begin to educate ourselves in the um, description of this service in whatever platform you're watching this in. There's a list of resources and podcasts and books, some of which I've read, some of which I haven't, but I trust the source of this recommendation. I'm thankful for guys like Byron on our board who often advocates for this sort of thing, pushes for real change in this area. Here's the last thing, and then we'll close. Um, it's a practical idea of what we can concretely do. I heard a black woman say of the church something to this effect. She said, uh, subtle racism is if you invite me to the party, but don't invite me to dance with you, meaning you know, not invite me into involvement or engagement. People want more than to be tolerated. They want to be embraced. If you're a, a white person, would you intentionally build relationships with people of color at NAC and elsewhere? And blacks, intentionally build relationship with whites and, and, and with Asians and Hispanics and any and every other type of person because we're all one in Christ. Somebody say amen. Somebody type amen to this. Let's pray. God, would you forgive me? Forgive me of my unreflected, undiagnosed racism. Would you remind me 
this morning. Remind us that you have created every soul in the very image of God, the Imago Dei, fearfully and wonderfully made, each precious in your sight. The God who runs after the one, leaves the 99 behind. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes all I can think to pray in times like this is, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, how we need you. Come make things right. Come with your justice. Come with your compassion. Come for the grieving and the brokenhearted. You have given us faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Teach us, Lord, what it means to truly love our neighbor. God, we recognize that this battle that we're in is not a battle against each other. It's not a battle against humans or flesh and blood. It's a battle against principalities, against darkness, against forces of evil in the unseen world. And even though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Teach us to love, God. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. This is a difficult time, folks. These are sad topics. They're important topics. I've missed a lot this morning. I mean, I have missed whole things that need to be said, I'm sure. Know that this is an ongoing conversation. And uh, we need to circle back to this every now and then. Uh, that's my biggest fear, I suppose, is that all this momentum behind uh, justice, behind anti-racism uh, would not be forgotten. And, uh, and so that is the heart of God, that we would love each other fully. I want to thank you for joining us today, for watching church. So would you go now and be the church? You're a loved people.